Is socialism compatible with Christianity? Where did socialism come from? And is capitalism any better? We'll discuss those questions for the next few episodes of the Cross References Podcast. Welcome to the Cross References Podcast, where you learn how every small piece of the Bible tells one big story, and most importantly, how they all connect to the cross and Christ. Whether you're a newbie Christian or a veteran Bible reader, our goal is that God's Word will make more sense to you after every episode. This is Luke Taylor, and I'm a pastor and also sometimes trying to be a bit of a cultural commentator. I pay close attention to the trajectory of society because this affects the people I minister to. About 10 or 12 years ago, I remember I made a comment on Facebook that was mocking socialism. And it wasn't meant to be controversial. It was just kind of taken as a given that long ago that socialism was this outdated, terrible idea that always ended in failure. It was a relic of the 1900s that we had collectively left behind. And when I made this comment poking fun at it, it's because mocking it was generally accepted as normal and non-controversial. However, one of my Facebook friends was a little bit upset about my comment. She believed that socialism was a good idea. And she was, by the standards of back then, and probably still today, would be considered an extreme liberal and and was very anti-Christian. And she had an extremely different worldview from me. But even still, I was surprised that anyone, anywhere, would bother to defend socialism, especially someone who grew up in the same America that I did. But that one person that I knew who was pro-socialism, before long it was two, and then four, and today, a large segment of the population has a favorable attitude towards socialism. A recent poll said that at least four in ten Americans have a favorable attitude towards socialism. And so as I was saying, I, I follow the trajectory of society, and the acceptance of socialism is rapidly expanding. You know, being against socialism was a normal boring, uncontroversial position 10 years ago. But now it has become quite controversial indeed. And and worse, this economic philosophy has not just infected the United States of America, but also the church. This is a big topic, of course, and so I'm not going to be able to cover it all in just one episode. So as I've been working on this podcast and trying to figure out what what it is, like what this podcast is, what's sustainable on my end, how long the episode should be, I've kind of decided I don't want a single episode to really carry on for more than an hour. Um, When I started the show, my goal was to have 30-minute episodes, and I almost titled the podcast 30-Minute Theology. But it's a good thing I didn't, (laughs) because clearly I'm having trouble containing myself to 30 minutes. Um, That said, I really don't want to go past an hour on these episodes. So what I've done with this today, because it would go on past an hour, I've split this content up into two episodes— And here's the good news. I'm not going to make you wait a whole week for part two. I'm going to release part two tomorrow. And I want to do that because part two will follow right on the hills of part one. And so that way you can go ahead and you can listen to it before you've had a chance to even forget anything from part one. So part two is coming tomorrow. And then I probably won't have an episode next week. That's kind of how it'll shake out. So look for us to return in a couple weeks, hopefully, with our Ezekiel studies We'll return then in episode number 16. 
But for now, let's let's get controversial. We're going to talk about whether socialism is compatible with Christianity. Can you be a Christian socialist? And let me answer that right now. Um, I'm sure there are Christians in the world who are socialistic. But what I want to demonstrate today is that socialism as a philosophy and as a way of life is opposed to how the Bible tells us to think about property and freedom and money. It is an unbiblical or anti-biblical idea. So listen, I'm not saying that a Christian who desires a socialist form of government has lost their salvation or is a fake Christian. I'm not saying that. Um, what I would say is I believe that they bought into a worldview or a philosophy that's opposed to the teachings of Jesus. And it's a philosophy that originated with an ungodly man who hated Christianity. So when I call this lesson socialism versus the Bible, I'm not trying to judge people's salvation on this. I'm Here's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to do what it says in 2 Corinthians 10.5. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Now, I know that sounds really negative right there. Let me backtrack just for a second. What I want to do is I want to demonstrate that socialism really is an idea that's raised against the knowledge of God. And quite literally, I'm going to try to destroy it. <laughs> okay, I don't know if that's better. I don't think I made it better. Um, let, me, let me approach it also from this lens. Matthew 7, 17 through 20. It says, So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. So today, we're going to talk about the fruit of socialism. It produces bad fruit in the lives of the people who follow it. And if you're listening and you're like, well, wait a minute, socialism, it's, that's just an economic system. It's not a belief system. Well, if that's what you think, you would be disagreeing with Karl Marx. He's the man who created socialism. Marx believed that socialism and capitalism were not just economic structures, but that they were entire worldviews. So let me give you my main idea today, because we're going to keep coming back to this, and in the next episode, we're going to keep coming back to this idea. Socialism has fake virtues and real vices. The virtues of socialism are counterfeit. They are not sincere from a Christian perspective. But the vices of socialism are very real. They provoke corrupting attitudes in people, the kinds of attitudes that Christians are supposed to rid themselves of. So today, I'm going to use socialism based on how socialists define it, okay? Not making up my own definition. We're going to use theirs. And then I'll talk about the fake virtues of socialism, followed by the real vices. And after that, we'll briefly talk about whether capitalism is better or more biblical. Actually, that'll some of this will come in the next episode, but we'll really look at a few um, we'll look at a few Bible passages that come up a lot in socialism discussions. And also we'll take a look at Karl Marx himself, the man who created socialism. It's going to be packed. So let's get going. Let's, let's begin by defining socialism. What is socialism? I'm going to give a couple definitions today. I'm going to use definitions that are, that are um, given by open and avowed socialists themselves, like the World Socialist Party of the United States. Their website is wspus.org. So they state that their objective is the establishment of a system of society based on the common ownership and democratic control 
of the means and instruments for producing and distributing wealth by and in the interest of society as a whole. Okay, so that's their definition, and I'll talk about what that means. Um, Let me explain what socialism... Let me tell you what socialism is seeking to do, and I'll explain why it wants to do that, and then I'll talk about how America is adopting socialism. And then that definition I just read, if it didn't make sense right there the first time, uh, it'll make sense after after I explain socialism's intentions. So as you know, our current economic system in America... Um, it's based on private ownership of your possessions as well as your property and your business. So if you start a business such as a store, a farm, a factory, you know, whatever, some way in which you create something or sell something or whatever, that is your business, okay? You own that business. Now, you can hire people to help you, and if the business is not successful, of course it dies, or you have to do something else to make money. If it is successful... You know, you can expand, you can get richer, you can do whatever you want. You can start another business. You can give more money to charity. You can do both. It's up to you because you've earned the money so you can do what you want with it. Your money and your choice. As long as you haven't done anything illegal, of course, to get it. Well, then you can keep your money, keep your property, keep your business, and do with it all as you please. So that's our current system. Socialists do not like that system, and we'll get to why in a minute. Socialists want the government to own your business and your property. They want the government to put a limit on how much money that you can make, and anything that goes over that limit is taken by the government, and it's given to people that they believe need it more than you. Or they will use it to fund government-run programs that provide goods and services to the public, such as health care or higher education. Now, you may have noticed as I was reading that definition from the World Socialist Party, World Socialist Organization, whatever, um, it didn't say anything about government owning this stuff. It said, in the definition that they used, it said common ownership. Or as some socialists will tell you, they'll say that the businesses should be owned by the people. All right? That's the phrase they use a lot. Especially in, like, well, in socialism, they, they talk about the people all the time. But the people is not a legal entity, okay? So you can't take a big business like Walmart and say that all 300 million people in America, that they each own one 300 millionth of Walmart, okay? That would be untenable. It's not logically really possible. It's not feasible. So what it really means when they say the people or common ownership, really what it means is that the government's going to own it, okay? Even though they, they will say the people or the public or common ownership, the reality is that it means the government will own it under socialism. And, and what do they want the government to own? Well, anything that is a means of production. That would be infrastructure, farms, factories, energy, medicine, anything. They don't, they don't want to manage, you know, a bunch of little mom and pop stores or family owned restaurants all over the country. They don't, the government doesn't want to mess with that. They, the government wants corporations, and they don't, they don't, they'll even help the corporations to not have any small business competitors. So under socialism, small businesses suffer a lot. It's really not going to make it under socialism. Now, why do socialists want to do this? Well, socialism is based on the philosophy of Karl Marx. He's a German economist from the 1800s. And his philosophy, sometimes you'll hear it called Marxism. Um, Marxism divides everybody up into categories of either oppressor or oppressed. Okay, you're either an oppressor who's taking advantage of others, or you are an oppressed person 
who is a victim of the oppressors. And so Marx applies this to employers and employees. The people who own businesses, the people who employ others, the people who make money, they are identified as oppressors. The people who work for a boss are called oppressed. And he believed that workers should have control over what they produce, not their bosses. He believed that the worker on the ground level should be making just as much money as the guy managing them from upstairs. He believed that the owners of the business should not be allowed to profit. He, th he thought that profit was literally theft. And so he said, if you make any extra money, then you are stealing from your workers. And then he also believed that unemployment was good. He thinks that having a job is a form of slavery. And he believed that society's goal should be that only a few people have to work so that everybody else can be free. Free to do whatever they want. And of all of the failures of socialism, every time it's tried, I would say this is the one thing that it's very good at, unemployment. <laughs> socialism is really good at driving up unemployment. And by the way, I'm just telling you what Marx believes, okay? I'm not giving you a skewed interpretation. I'm not like searching out the most radical positions he held. I'm, I'm just giving you the main principles of his economic philosophy. Um, th th this is what you'll find on pro-socialism and pro-Karl Marx websites, all right? Uh, another main principle is he believed that monogamous heterosexual marriage should be done away with. Uh, get rid of the nuclear family is what he said. Because he said, you know, um, right? He said in our current system, we are enslaved to providing for a spouse or a family. And if, if we are enslaved to providing for a family, then we aren't, tr we aren't truly free to be our happiest selves. And so he wanted every, everyone to be free to do whatever they want, whenever they want, that the only thing preventing us from doing that right now are the so-called oppressors who demand that we actually do work for them if we want to make money. So that is what Marxism, aka socialism, that's what it is. That's where it comes from. And I want to mention how it's working itself out currently in America, because in our country, we have also adopted this oppressor-oppressed framework for dealing with people, for categorizing people. And in the past 10 years, that framework has been applied um, to a lot more than even just the rich and poor. If you go back to like about 10 years ago, as I said, this is when socialism was just starting to creep into the culture, like where people were starting to become open socialists, something that you didn't really see much for the past 50 years, that, someone would, that somebody would be openly socialist. You just didn't see that. At one time in America, it was illegal to be an open socialist. You know, no exaggeration. It was literally illegal at one point in America. Um, in the 1900s. But but anyway, over the past few decades, that was a very rare thing that somebody would say something that audacious. And then about 10 years ago, we really started to see that societal shift. So if you go back to right at 10 years ago, there were some protests going on that they were called Occupy Wall Street. This was a Marxist, Marxist philosophy. There were rioters breaking out in big cities across America um, they were people who claimed that they were tired of making so-called low wages while their bosses and the big businesses were making millions of dollars a year. So this phrase, one percenter, became popular. It was the idea that the people who are the top one percent richest Americans, that they are withholding their money from the rest of society and forcing the rest of us to be poor. 
So it was an us versus them attitude based around income inequality. And the Occupy Wall Street movement died down. But this whole oppressor versus oppressed narrative really did not. It was expanded. Really, it was also expanded to race. It would, you know, they started to say that white people are oppressors and anybody who's not white is oppressed by white people. They would say that women are oppressed by men, that gay people are oppressed by straight people, that transgenders are oppressed by cisgenders. Everything was break, breaking down into this oppressor slash oppressed dichotomy. And by the way, you know, it is good and biblical to dismantle oppression anywhere it exists, of course, when the oppressors actually are oppressing anyone. But see, in a Marxist worldview, the mere existence of bosses who employ workers for agreed-upon wages are still oppressive. <laughs> the mere concept of having to work to make a living is considered oppression. So in cultural Marxism, the mere existence of white people or straight people is considered oppressive to the rest of society. So this is how socialism is working out in America. Um, let me read a description of socialism from the Democratic Socialists of America. Their website is dsausa.org. This is the organization um, like Alexander Ocasio-Cortez. She's a politician in America who's very popular and is an open socialist. And she's a part of this organization. So here's what that website says, how they define socialism. They say, we reject an economic order based on private profit, alienated labor, gross inequalities of wealth and power, discrimination based on race, sex, sexual orientation, gender expression, disability status, age, religion, and national origin, and brutality and violence in defense of the status quo. We are socialists because we share a vision of a humane social order based on popular control of resources and production, economic planning, equitable distribution, feminism, racial equality, and non-oppressive relationships. So that is socialism as defined by socialists. That Okay, so what we've covered so far, that's what socialism is. And we talked about why socialists believe in it and how it's working itself out in America today. And I'll, I'll tell you, you know, we're not really going to even get into the some of the cultural Marxism that we see in America right now about stuff about race and sexuality. I'm not, I'm not even really trying to get into that part today. I'm going to try to focus more just on um, the original socialism that is really around uh, income and economics. So let's talk some more about that. Let's talk about what I'm going to call the fake virtues and real vices of socialism. First, the fake virtues. My issue with socialism, <laughs> this is what I maybe is the most annoying thing about it to me, is that it contains fake virtues. And so that's part of the issue we're going to cover today. My overarching issue really is that it's, it's an unbiblical worldview, but I just want to be a little bit more specific. Socialism, it has virtues, but they are fake. Some Christians try to espouse the virtues of socialism using Christian language. But the virtues within socialism... They are not virtuous as understood within a biblical context. So, for example, socialism is described as caring for the poor. How does socialism care for the poor? Well, socialists will say that it will take money from the rich corporations and the richest members of society and will divvy that money up among the poorer members of society. This is called wealth redistribution. Remember how Karl Marx thought that profit was theft. So the way you solve this problem 
is by having the government come in and take a company's profits away and redistribute that among everyone else. Kind of like Robin Hood. Steal from the rich, give to the poor. It sounds noble, right? Well, this is not virtuous as understood by the Bible. Okay, yes, the Bible tells us to give to the poor, but the Bible never tells us to take someone else's money and give it to the poor. It tells you to do it with your own money. Taking someone else's money that they earned, like in a legal way, in a fair way, and giving it to someone else, that's never commanded in the Bible. Like, that is not charity. If you see someone else in need, then you take off your cloak and give it to them. That is what the Bible says. You don't take a rich person's cloak and, you know, say, oh, well, they had an extra cloak anyway. The Bible doesn't tell you to do that. And by the way, taking something that does belong to someone else and doesn't belong to you, that is stealing. Even if you pass a law to do it. But we're, we're going to get to that in the vices section. So socialists will often try to appropriate Jesus into their cause. And you'll hear them say that Jesus was a socialist that redistribution of wealth, that it's the Christian thing to do. Um, although it's funny how the Bible never commands that. We'll look at a Bible verse later that some people try to say demonstrates socialism. That'll actually come in the next program. But um, it, when you look at it, though, it really does make the opposite case. We're, we will get into that later. But um, Jesus never said that you give to the poor and needy by taking something away from a third party. He said that you open up your pocketbooks and you help them. And by the way, any of these pro-socialism celebrities who like to go out in interviews and they want to promote socialism, they say, raise my taxes. <laughs> they say, I have too much money. Just raise my taxes so that more of my money can go to the poor and needy. When they say that, they're lying. It's just more fake virtue. Okay, think about it. If you say that you have more than enough money, and so you want the government to raise your taxes and to redistribute your money among the poor and needy. What in the world is stopping you from giving all your money to a bunch of charities right now that do just that? <laughs> like, what's stopping you from finding a bunch of poor people right now to give money to? What's stopping you from being charitable with your own money? Why do you need the government to be charitable for you? See, it's a fake virtue. They don't really mean what they're saying. They're saying it to sound noble, but they, they don't really care. If they really thought they had too much money and that there's poor people out there who need it more, there is nothing stopping them from going out today and finding some poor people to give it to. Bernie Sanders is a well-known politician. He pushes socialism all the time. He constantly complains about the rich and how they're evil. Um, he used to complain about millionaires and said there shouldn't even be millionaires and, until he became a millionaire. And then he changed his language to complain about billionaires. And now he's saying there shouldn't be billionaires, that they should be taxed at such a high rate that they are never able to earn a billion dollars. And Bernie Sanders, by the way, he has three houses. Meanwhile, there's people all over this country who don't even have one house. So Bernie, why do you need three? Based on your principles, why do you need three houses? Shouldn't you give two of them away? to people who don't have houses? So see, what I'm saying is it's fake virtue. He, uh, Bernie Sanders, you know, he popularized himself by his fight for 15. That was when he was trying to get minimum wage raised to $15 an hour. And yet at that time, this was like in the 2015 election time, 
At that time, his campaign wasn't even paying all its workers $15 an hour. Why? Well, <laughs> because it wasn't financially viable. But socialists like Bernie Sanders, they have no interest in what is financially viable, and he has no compunction about owning three homes. Socialism is not interested in what is realistic or virtuous. It's a fake virtue. It's a fake reality. It's not generosity. Giving something away that belongs to someone else is not being generous. It's stealing. It doesn't matter if you think you're stealing for a good cause. It's still stealing. And the Bible never tells us to steal to help the poor. Is it a good thing for government to have programs that help the poor and needy? Of course. But you shouldn't fund it by theft. By the way, the real Robin Hood, he did steal from the rich. And he kept most of the money that he stole. He just gave some of it to the poor. He kept most of it for himself. He's a true socialist. And that brings us to vices. Okay, because remember, socialism is fake virtue and real vices. There's nothing in the Bible that says that it's okay to take a rich person's money or property or business just because you don't think that they need it. Hey, maybe you're right. Like, maybe they don't need it. But the Bible doesn't give you the right to just go and take it. <laughs> that is known as stealing. It's even if you pass a law that lets you legally take it, that doesn't make it okay to steal in God's sight. And this is often justified by socialists because of the claim of income inequality. They like to compare the richest 1% with the 99%. They like to show the difference in wealth between the top 10% and the lower 90%. And so you'll often hear claims like this. You'll hear people say that the top 10% own 70% of the nation's wealth. Okay, I did that quote. I just Googled it. I found a website named Statista. It makes this claim. It says that as of August last year, that the top 10% in America have 70% of the country's wealth. And people say this like it's a problem. Like just claiming that, like that's an argument in and of itself. Like the problem is apparent from that fact alone. Okay, so when I hear that, I'm just like, okay. I mean, yes, I recognize there's a vast difference there. There's a wide gulf. And so what? I mean, that's not just really, it's really not a relevant issue to me. Here, here's what is a relevant issue to me. Do I have enough money to take care of myself and my family? And here's another relevant issue to me at the job I work at. Am I getting paid the wages that I agreed to when I started the job? So if I'm getting everything that I agreed to when I took the job, I have no grievances against anybody. I don't care how much my boss makes. I don't care how much his boss makes. All right. And you have to kind of understand I'm talking also, I'm not speaking as a pastor. <laughs> I'm speaking just like if, as if I was a typical worker. Okay. If I work at a fast food place or at an office or at a factory, my job is to make money for my boss. Like that's my purpose as an employee. So when I took that job, I agreed to do it for X amount of dollars. And if, you know, if that doesn't work for any anymore, if, if that doesn't work for me anymore, I'm free to quit and find another job anytime I want to. So if I agreed to make X amount of dollars and I'm making X amount of dollars, I have no grievance against anyone. <laughs> I have no right to be mad at anyone. I can't claim that I'm being oppressed by anyone. 
even if my boss is making t- twice as much as me or 10 times as much as me, if he's making a million dollars a year, that's not my concern. Like that's between him and his boss. It's between him and God. He hasn't done anything against me. Now, by the way, if you are a boss out there and um, I just say this, you know, you are obligated to pay your employees everything you agreed to, like whenever you hired them. And as the cost of living goes up, I, you know, I think you should remember to raise their wages accordingly, give them raises or bonuses for being a good worker. Those are all good business practices. And so if you work for a boss who doesn't do that, I don't know if I'd say they're necessarily oppressing you, but you know, I'd probably be looking for another job too. Sure. And I'm not saying that it's impossible for a boss to oppress his employees with unfair burdens. Okay. Of course, bad stuff goes on in businesses on a daily basis. Lots of businesses will try to take unfair advantage of their employees. So I'm not denying any of that. I'm just trying to make a distinction here between what is real oppression and this false oppression that socialism teaches. And just because your boss makes more than you, maybe a lot more money than you, that doesn't mean that you're oppressed. That doesn't make you a victim. It doesn't give you a moral right to try to take their profits. So you should go home each day proud of your paycheck, proud of your work, proud of what you accomplished, okay? I'm not talking about being prideful, but I trust that you know what I mean here, that you should go home pleased with yourself for earning your paycheck and and making enough to take care of yourself. And if you say that you aren't making enough to, you know, to have a living wage, then why did you take that job in the first place? Go and get a job that does. Like right now, it's never been easier to find a job. But socialism, it tries to make you believe that if you have to work for a living, that you're somehow a victim. That's wrong. Socialism, it stokes greed and selfishness and jealousy. And and this is the same complaint that that, that socialists will give about capitalism, by the way. (laughs) They'll say it's all about greed. And I am going to get to that idea later on the next program, I guess. But socialism does the same thing. It tries to make you greedy by dwelling on what you don't have rather than being thankful for what you do have. And it stokes jealousy of what rich people have. And these are the fruits of socialism. Greed, selfishness, jealousy, And here's another one, laziness. Socialism breeds laziness. I mean, how could it not? (laughs) Marx's own vision of the future was that only a few people needed to work so that everyone else could go out and just do whatever he wanted to do. Now, modern socialists will talk about a universal basic income, and that's the idea that the the government might just um, send one or two thousand dollars to each person each month to let them live their life. And you might ask, well, how is society going to work if nobody works? (laughs) And the answer is it doesn't. It would just fall apart. See, this is all pie-in-the-sky utopia. It's not realistic or sustainable. But, you know, the masses don't usually question whether something is realistic if it sounds nice. And the idea of being free to fish all day or lay around in bed all day and just have a steady stream of money dropped into your account for doing nothing other than being a couch potato— That sounds really glamorous to some people. But in reality, society would fall apart real quick. And Karl Marx was, he was enraged whenever he looked at a surplus of goods on the shelves at the store. He would say, why are we working so hard to produce more than what we need? We're working too much. See, Marx, he would rather have 
not enough supplies to go around rather than more than enough. As long as it meant that people didn't have to work as hard. Well, socialism achieves that. <laughs> you know, it, it ends with bread lines and inflation, empty shelves. So like the unemployment, that is an area where socialism delivers what it promises. You won't have a surplus anymore, thanks to the laziness that's inherent to a socialistic worldview. I like what 2 Thessalonians 3 says. This is a great passage. It's verses 6 through 12 in that chapter. Let me read this to you. Paul said, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is, who is walking in idleness. Idleness, a.k.a. laziness. Not talking about idol as in worshiping an idol, but Paul says idleness as in someone who's not doing anything. Like when your computer is just, it's like it's on, but it's just sitting there, not, not funct- like not doing anything. That's called being idle. Paul says, stay away from people who kind of live their life that way. <laughs> They're, they, fun- they are alive. They're on, but they aren't doing anything. Keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy buddies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. So there you have it. The New Testament's expectation is that we earn a living. Not that we expect to be handed something that we didn't work for. Not that we expect to sit around and do nothing and expect a check from the government. Funded by some millionaire who didn't just sit around. So add laziness to the greed and jealousy. It's fake virtues and real vices. And one more thing that many socialists do, they like to claim that all the stuff they want to give you is free. This is a lie. And and honestly, this is all politicians. It's not just socialists, by the way. (laughs) All politicians of all political stripes, they love to claim that the program or the policy that they want to implement, that is going to be free. Karl Marx liked to claim that he wanted to make free health care for all citizens and free college. And you'll hear politicians say stuff like that in America today. They'll say that um, they think that giving someone free health care is a virtue. But the problem is that's a lie. It's a fake virtue. Nothing, nothing is free. Anytime you hear a politician say that something is free, replace that in your head with taxpayer funded. Because that's reality. When you hear a politician say free, in your head say, nope, taxpayer funded. It's not free. Nothing is free. It's taxpayer funded. They're lying to you. Just this week, (laughs) there's been these new headlines going out talking about how our president is going to give out free COVID tests and they're going to be sent right to your home. And that's the word they're using in the headlines. Free. Okay? That's all a lie. It's propaganda. And I'm not saying it's just socialists who do it. Democrats and Republicans all say this. CNN and Fox News, they all say this. They say that government services mean free stuff. That is not true. And I actually think it's wrong for Christians to lie about stuff being free when it's not. 
So like when someone says, hey, you can go down to Planned Parenthood and get free contraception. Or Bernie Sanders, he wants to give free college to all adults. They are lying to you. When someone says that whatever law that they want to pass is free health care. Okay, when they say that, just ask this question. What do you mean free? Like, are you saying the government has enslaved doctors and is making them work without pay? Well, no, they're getting paid. So it's not free. Someone is paying the bill. Guess what? It's you. Well, either that or they're blowing out our national debt, which means your kids and grandkids and future generations are going to be paying for stuff, our stuff, with their tax dollars. Does that sound fair to you? Like, does that sound moral to you to make your kids pay for your college or doctor bill? I don't see that in the Bible. So when you hear people say that the government, <laughs> that the government needs to spend any more money at all to help with more social safety net programs that are going to help, you know, they'll say, oh, help the single moms or help the people in poverty or whatever. Just remember, guys, the government can't even balance its own checkbook. Every year, it's spending more money than it takes in revenue. Every single year. Which means that every extra dollar that they spend is being charged to future years, to future generations. So anytime we say, hey, the government needs to pay for X, Y, and Z, remember that when you say that, <laughs> you're asking the government to be even more fiscally irresponsible than it already is, okay? You're asking the government to be a poor steward of its finances. <laughs> I'm not trying to rant on all this, but I'm just tired of the lying. I'm tired of the fake virtue where some Christians try to talk about, you know, they say, oh, we need to expand Medicaid, that healthcare is a right. And they insist that it's, it's morally righteous that the government spend more money than it actually has. The government's already spending more than it has. <laughs> so if you want to help a, fam a family of five, like a poor family, if you want to help them, go to your bank, withdraw however much you want, and give it to one. Don't give the government anything, except maybe a Dave Ramsey CD. And I'm sorry to rant, but I'm just sick of the lying, okay? And if you think, listen, if you think, oh man, he's getting really political today. Honestly, I'm not really talking about the political side of this. Like, if you want government-funded college, we can have that conversation. Uh, good Christians can have that debate. Personally, I think it's a bad idea, but but we can have that conversation. And that doesn't make you a bad person if I, you know, if we disagree on that. I'm just saying, don't lie about it. <laughs> Unless you're using slave labor to provide it, don't call it free. And don't use the slave labor either, <laughs> by the way. I'm just saying, um, don't call it free. There's only two circumstances that it could be free. If you're making people do it without paying them, or if you're actually charging it to the taxpayers. Either way, it's not really free. So all I'm saying is, don't call it that. I'm tired of the lying. I'm sick of the fake virtue and real vices. Okay, we're going to come up here on a hard stop. I'm stopping here for today because this is going to go on for a while longer. I've still got a lot more to say in Socialism versus the Bible Part 2. But like I said before, I'm not going to make you wait a whole week for it. I'm going to release Socialism versus the Bible Part 2 tomorrow. So make sure you tune in on the next episode 
to hear a bit more about this. Here's what we still need to cover. We need to talk about what the Bible says about socialism. Christians who are pro-socialism, they have some verses that they like to point to to try to prove that the Bible is in favor of socialism. And I think they're worth talking about, so we'll do that next time. And I need to talk about a couple other things as well. Uh, I want to talk about Karl Marx. He was the creator of socialism. And I want to discuss his personal history and family life. I, I think it's relevant. And finally, I know the question that a lot of you are probably asking, um, what about capitalism? Could I really say that capitalism is any better or that capitalism is more biblical? Well, I kind of think I can, but I'll cover that at the end of next episode. So come back next time for part two of Socialism versus the Bible. Thanks for listening to the Cross References podcast. This has been Luke Taylor reminding you that Robin Hood was not a role model.